Welcome to the Middle Church Podcast, a multicultural, multi-ethnic, intergenerational movement of spirit and justice, powered by revolutionary love with room for everyone. No matter where you are, how you look, or who you love, we pray this podcast will help you on your journey. Here's this week's sermon. Good morning. Good morning, family. How y'all doing? Hi, everybody online. Um, Allergy season is upon us, y'all. And I am doing all the coughing and draining, so I'm just going to keep my mask on. (laughs) Um, It is communion Sunday, so hopefully you got your little packet at the door. If you are online, you know, you just need something to eat, something to drink, you know, like a little taste of something. Don't go living your best life, breakfast life. you know, just so we can memorialize the moment. Um, this Sunday, we have some special guests, Michael Ray Matthews and Ramal Tuner here. <laughs> Michael, y'all know, y'all know Michael Ray um, really well. Ramal has written a beautiful book um, called I Wish My Dad, a Vulnerable, hold on, now the thing that went to sleep and won't tell me what the title of the book is, Lord help me. Uh, I Wish My Dad, Vulnerable Conversations Between Fathers and Sons, which is available for sale today for $28. So if you got any form of payment, Ramal will take it, Zelle, Cash App, regular cash, cards, like all the things. Um, Feeling Queer with Ben is on Tuesday night, and Middle's Migrant Response uh, is on Wednesday night. Check the website for the details on those. You will not want to miss those events. And then uh, next Sunday, we are holding a Ganesh space, Compassionate Conversations, Reclaiming Queerness in Spirituality. That is next Sunday. Now listen, y'all, Juneteenth is upon us. You know how we like to do on Juneteenth. (laughs) So I'm going to actually just read all the things because Lord help me try and get that right. On the 18th, you know, we'll have worship like we do. Um, But we will also have a book talk. about my book, my book that's coming out on Woo! the 13th. Thank you. Thank you. In Trembling Boldness, Wisdom for Today um, from Ancient Jesus People. So Jackie and I will do a little book talk. So you got lots of book talks this, uh, this month. Matthew, uh, Michael Ray and Ramal will do one after worship. So please, after I've been a dick, just don't have a seat. Don't try and run out. I know how y'all do. Just go on and sit down. And then... Um, on the 18th, same business, and then we'll have a little food, I think, after on the 18th as well. Um, oh, June 11th, PS is Grad Sunday. Did anybody graduate from something this year? Raise your hand. Anybody graduate? You graduated? Yay! Yay! Anybody else? Listen, even if you just graduated from kindergarten or fifth grade or got a certificate, we want to know. Please send me a video in Perkins at middlechurch.org or a little picture of you with your grad stuff or your certificate. We would love to see that and celebrate you on the 11th. Um, Back to the 18th. So we'll have worship. We're having two worships, one at 9.30, one at 11.45. And we'll have a little book talk after both and a little food after both. And then that evening, we're doing a um, silent disco. I know, right? That will be um, at Lincoln Center. with Shanta celebrating middle, uh, Juneteenth with Middle Church. And um, yeah, it's called Let Freedom Dance. 
So there'll be a bunch of us there doing that. We hope that you will come. It turns into the, um, starts at 9 p.m. and turns into a silent disco at 10. And that's at Lincoln Center. And then June 19th, we will have our movie, um, uh, Juneteenth, Now Let Us Dance. And that is directed by Charles, Charles, Charles Randolph, right? Who's up there? It'll be very, very cool. Um, and if you want to be in the movie, if you want to be in it, Adrian's going to come up and tell you how to do that. We would love to have you. Yeah, for support. <laughs> Hello. Hello. So we're um, putting together this little movie, and we thought it would be fabulous if the middle y'all um, participated. We have five. It's going to be great. It's going to be simple. I'm not asking for any lifts or anything like that. If you want to do lifts, that's fine, too. Yeah. But we have uh, five little gestures that you can film. And then you can upload to? You'll go to uh, middlechurch.org and go to uploads and to music. And you upload it there. And you'll find um, the instructions, what Adrian's saying, and a link to where the video that gives you instructions and shows you exactly what and to music do. And music. Yep, and music. Uh, and that will be uh, at Juneteenth now, Let Freedom Dance. It's not up yet, but it'll be coming. And, and, and you can have fun. The point is yes, to have fun, fine. no pressure. I want all kinds of people, and you can do it with pairs, you can do it by yourself, you know, if you're, you know. And then um, it'll be great. But I would really, and online too, online, please, please. Yes. But um, more kind of people, our kind of people, that would be great. Thank you. That's really exciting. I hope you all will turn in some videos of you dancing. I'm gonna try and get that done too so I can be in it. Um, okay, so yeah, go to our website. That information is up there now. If you go to our website and see the pop-up, just click on Learn More and you'll see all of the information for Juneteenth. You do not have to rely on whether I got it right or not, which is a blessing for you. Um, I think that is all the things. It is the first Sunday of the month, which means it is birthday Sunday. If you were born in June, will you please stand up? Any June birthdays? Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> All right, and I'm sure there's some hands online as well who have raised their hand. Go on the stand. We're going to sing happy birthday to you. Have a blessed birthday. Now, if the rest of you will please stand for our opening hymn. Our opening hymn this month, this Sunday.
Let us pray. God, we come now in the name of Jesus to give you thanks for your presence, your love, your peace, your joy. God, we oftentimes carry the tension of fear in the presence of courage, doubt in the presence of hope, anger in the presence of peace, sadness in the presence of joy, loneliness, even in the presence of community, sorrow with hope, the anticipation of the things that you can do in our lives, yet the uncertainty of our humanity. So God, we need you, oftentimes in more ways than we even understand ourselves, to be the God of our peace, a God of courage, a God of liberation, a God of healing. We need you, God, to restore the joy and the peace that we sometimes forget we have available to us. We need you, God, to be a centering presence that guides us to not just give us courage, but to give us victory, to give us freedom, to make us representatives of you and your unfailing love towards others. And as you do only what you can do, God, through us and the power of your spirit, we will give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. It's in the name of all that we count holy and righteous. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. And the people of God said, amen. amen. My friends, if you would rise in body or spirit at this moment, and we're going to join in the Lord's Prayer. As you know it, as you're familiar with it, I'm going to pray it in Spanish. You pray it in the language that you're most comfortable in. Padre nuestro que estás en el cielo, santificado sea tu nombre. Venga a nosotros tu reino. Hágase tu voluntad en la tierra como en el cielo. Danos hoy nuestro pan de cada día. Perdona nuestras ofensas como también nosotros perdonamos a los que nos ofenden. No nos dejes caer en la tentación y líbranos del mal. Porque tuyo es el reino, el poder y la gloria, por siempre jamás. Amén. My friends, and now this is part of the worship where we we greet one another in the way that's most comfortable, and everybody's here very different. Some people are like just a little nod is fine. Some people like a big hug. Oh my God! So whatever makes sense for you, that's what you should do for you and your neighbor's safety. Uh, and we're gonna pass the peace. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. 
to the Starlight Room at Middle Church. Hello? Hello? Okay. <sighs> I just want to recognize that we have Rochelle Green with us from Texas. <laughs> she moved to Texas, but she's with us online with the choir every Thursday night. And she happened to be here when we're singing, so here is Rochelle singing with us.
Standing in the need of a blessing. If that's not the prayer of our times, I don't know what is. And it's most definitely the prayer of any preacher right before they have to preach. <laughs> Greetings, Middle Church, and happy Pride. It is an honor to be here today. I was with you all just five Sundays ago uh, for the Freedom Rising Conference, and I shared in the invitation, a bit of my story in a relationship with Middle and with um, my relationship with uh, Pastor Jackie. So I'll skip all that and just tell you I'm glad to be back home. Um, I bring you greetings from Faith in Action, the organization that I, that I work with and that has a local organization that you all are familiar with, Faith in New York. Grateful uh, to extend uh, greetings to you from Reverend Alvin Herring, our executive director. I'm grateful to Jackie, I'm grateful to Natalie and all the team here at Middle for the invitation to come and bring the word today and all the support leading up to this moment. I'm also grateful for family and friends who are online watching me, hi honey, back home, um, and those who are present here in this space. And chief among them would be my dear brother, Romal Toon, the author of I Wish My Dad, I'm chapter three in the book, and I look forward to sharing with him a bit later about our relationships with our dads and how we've worked to find healing for those relationships and for ourselves. But this morning, I want to endeavor to reflect on the theme of healing relationships in light of the reading, the Hebrew Bible reading for today, which is from Genesis chapter one. And why don't, we, why don't I read that for us at this time? This is the New Revised Standard Version. It reads this way, the first five verses of Genesis 1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness God called night. 
And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. That ends the reading. May God bless the reading and hearing of God's holy word. I invite your prayerful support as we reflect on the theme, the light, the shadow, and everything between. Will you pray with me? Let the words of my mouth bring you praise. Let the words that I speak be seasoned with your love and grace. May the things, O oh Lord, that I choose to say bring glory, not shame, to your name this day. Let the words of my mouth bring you of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, for you are our strength and you are our redeemer. Amen. Amen. This Thursday, June 8th, will mark 32 years since the transition of my father, Matt Matthews. It marks a three-decade journey for me towards healing and reconciliation. You see, my relationship with my dad was often fraught with hurt and anger and resentment. And it only began to turn towards a very cautious hope for a healthy relationship when I finally left home for college. But those few years of hope for my dad and I were interrupted by a cancer diagnosis and a journey for him that lasted only 10 months. Now, I was grateful for those 10 months. Dad and I said some important things to one another. And that short season of healing suggested to me that perhaps a better future for us was probable, even if it was no longer possible in this life. So after his passing, I resigned myself to a level of resolve and moved on with my life, grateful for him, sad for my family, but believing that he and I had reconciled. But six years later, while in seminary and within months of our son being born, my dad came to me in a dream. Well, it was really a nightmare. His previous dream visitations were joyful and full of hope. He was singing in a choir often smiling and singing something about everything's going to be all right. But this dream was intense and violent. You see, he had me in a chokehold, which is completely outside of my experience of him. You know, he hurt me with words and with indifference, but never with physical violence. And even though I was the one in the chokehold, I kept screaming, okay, okay, I'll let you go. I'll let you go. 
I woke up in tears, still screaming, and it took a while for my wife to calm me down. I talked to my pastoral care professor, and he helped me engage this dream, and we walked through my journey with my dad. And I told him, he said, I, I believe that I've reconciled with him in those 10 months of his cancer journey before he passed away. And he said, no, boo. <laughs> OK, he didn't say no, boo. <laughs> but in the movie, he said, no, boo. <laughs> you will need to engage in a longer process. Now that you're about to become a father yourself, all this unresolved and unreconciled stuff is coming up for you. And so began 20 years of healing work with the spirit of my father. And there was light. And there was good. Out of the darkness of my grief and unresolved resentment and woundedness, healing and hope emerged for me. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Reverend Carol A. Crumley has written that Genesis looks into the heart of darkness and sees something beautiful and hopeful, a creative force, a hovering spirit, and a penetrating light that cannot be overcome. I love that the ancient narrative at the heart of our tradition begins with darkness and light shadow and sun. For I think it reflects the up and the down and the in-between of our lived experience. Sometimes it feels like the chaos of a formless void, amen? And sometimes it feels like a shimmering light bringing good vibes and joy and peace. And sometimes it feels like mm, not light, not shadow, but something between a kind of wilderness of the soul. And right there in the first five verses, we get it all, light and shadow and in between. But not only do we get that affirmation and acknowledgement, we get God, God's self in this text. I love how Will Gaffney adapts this text. When beginning, he, God, created the heavens and the earth, while the spirit of God, she, fluttered over the face of the waters. Indeed, they are present. Creative force, hovering spirit, in solidarity with the chaos and the nothingness, calling forth light. And it was good. And there was evening. And there was morning. Friends, our lives are experienced in the evenings and the mornings. Amen? And in the in-betweens. We inhabit a world and a history of ebbs and flows, long arcs of light and shadow and gray. Dr. Jackie often says that we live in a hot mess world. Now, I flew here from a meeting in the state of Florida, mm -hmm. where chaos and shadow of hatred and bigotry and injustice against our queer and trans Black, brown, indigenous, Asian, and immigrant kindred is palpable. It's thick in the atmosphere, y'all. Every system seems to be reinforced to dehumanize, 
from systems about education and healthcare and justice and voting and housing and even faith. The written rules, the policies, the laws and the procedures are once again becoming explicit in their intent to oppress and suppress. And the collective consciousness, the people seem to allow it. It allows white nationalism masquerading as Christianity to take on new forms and to grow in power. If there's anything I've learned in the 30 years of ministry and community organizing, it's that the trauma that we are facing is transgenerational. It is deeply connected to the pain and injustice faced by our ancestors seven and 10 and 15 generations ago. This, justice is, this injustice is transgenerational, my friends. It is relentless. But so is the movement for justice and the movement for peace and the movement for healing. For generations and millennia even, people of courage have been standing in the need of a blessing, standing in the void, in the in-between, and calling forth light in the darkness. They have plunged into the depths of their vulnerability, their woundedness, and created the conditions for transformation and the cultivation of beloved community. They risked further exposure of their pain and trauma for the sake of their healing and for the sake of the world's healing. The mystic poet Rumi says that the wound is the place where the light enters. In today's text and in our real lives, the light enters the void of our wounds and into the darkness covering the face of the deep. This journey of healing with my father has required that kind of vulnerability, a willingness to speak truth to myself and to my father's spirit, to reimagine myself in all of my identities and to embrace with joy and pride the soft and sensitive superpowers that make me who I am. And the divine, the Holy One, has been ever present. They have been present in the solidarity of a village of play mamas and spiritual fathers and adopted siblings and beloved friends who have helped me to queer the light, the shadow, the in-between, to discern the presence of the divine in, in the love that is already and always at work in the universe. And in the stories of elders and ancestors who embraced woundedness, the world's and their own, and cultivated love, hope, and peace. When I was in my 30s, the healing work with my dad focused on how I could offer forgiveness to my father, a man who was human, who was flawed, and who was wounded. And as I entered my 40s, I was confident that the healing work with him was completed and that my dad and I were indeed reconciled. That was until I was back in therapy. <laughs> and this new therapist asked me about my dad. And I told him the story. And I told him that I was reconciled with my dad in spirit. And you can guess his response. <laughs> no boo. 
He asked, if you have forgiven him, have you also asked him to forgive you? To which I defensively replied, for what? <laughs> he said, for removing him from his rightful place as your father. Here he was referring to the emotional adjustment that I made at a very early age to detach myself from the power of my father to bring me down. I had to do that, I told the therapist. He was the adult, I was the child. The toxicity was suffocating. It was killing my spirit. I had to do it to survive. I wouldn't be here today if I didn't make that adjustment. I know, I know he assured me. You had to make that adjustment. But the adjustment you made then is no longer serving you today. That adjustment, that protecting of your wound, your vulnerability, is still shaping how you partner, how you parent, and how you pastor. I was not feeling this therapist. <laughs> I would drive to my appointments with the intent to fire him <laughs> if he brought up my father one more time. But eventually I gave in and I took the risk and I started this journey of asking my dad to forgive me. I exposed the wound and I saw the mutual woundedness between us. And not just between us, but reaching back to his relationship with his father and my grandfather's relationship with his father, and now reaching forward into my relationship with my son, who no doubt has a lot to say about what he wishes his dad would do. And so I apologize to the spirit of my father. I asked my dad to forgive me. It was a long journey of standing at his grave for hours on end, standing in yet another void trusting in the fluttering of the spirit and the creator's solidarity with me. And there was light, and it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning. Another day. Middle Church, the journey continues for us all. The creation story is still continuing. The struggle continues. Freedom and healing and liberation are constant struggles. Our personal journeys of discovery are lifelong, if we let them be. Our relationships with one another are an ongoing work in progress. And this collective struggle for liberation and justice that we care about so much at Middle, it too is transgenerational. In a world that is constantly changing, even while it resists change, it is easy for us to lose courage. Courage to stay in the struggle, to expose the wound, and to embrace vulnerability. But if we have faith, we will remember that within our spiritual traditions, there are ordinary people who stayed with the wound. Ordinary people who stood in the need of a blessing, who stood at that formless void and abandoned themselves to the sweet Holy Spirit, 
the sweet heavenly dove who stays right here with us, filling us with love. We have the example of Jesus who stood in solidarity with the vulnerable and created pathways for collective healing and liberation. And we have the promise of the divine to be with us in the light, in the shadow, and the in-between. We have the solidarity of the Almighty who from the beginning has extended solidarity to us in the void, in the face of the deep and who keeps calling for light so that we may take yet another step. And it's going to be good. And there will be evening. And there will be morning. And there will be another day. Amen. you now into the uh, into communion with the divine and with each other we gather now at this table where all are welcome at this table you'll find the gay dads with their infant the trans mom and the non-binary graduate at this table you will find that love is served that justice is served, and that there is always enough to go around for everyone to be filled. Let us pray. Oh God, our help in ages past, our, our hope for years to come. Bless this community and this meal we partake together, that it may nourish our souls, that it may bind us together, making us stronger in our fight against bigotry injustice and against equality, inequality. Remind us, God, that this is not our table, but yours. We thank you, God, that with you, there will always be an abundance. Amen. Amen. On the night Jesus was arrested, he took the bread, broke it, and gave thanks, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. As you break the bread now, feel the muscles in your hand working. And may it remind you that this fight for equality will take your effort. Then Jesus took the cup and blessed it, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant. When you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. As you drink now, beloved, 
May you remember all who have been sacrificed at the altar of homophobia and transphobia. And may this renew your pact with these ancestors and with your community to bring forth justice. Let us pray. We give thanks, O oh God, for this meal that sustains us on this journey, that rejuvenates us in the midst of battle, that celebrates us in all of the queer ways you've made us. We hold this meal as a reminder of the abundance yet in store. May this meal serve as an expression of our commitments to love and to justice. Amen. Amen. Good afternoon, Middle. My name, my name is Jason Enlow, and I'm joined by my support team, Maya. Want to say hello? Well, we are here today to um, employ you to join the movement. And I just really want to share my story. So it began in 2009, and I came to Middle Church. Like so many of you, I liked a girl. And to kind of take a step back, I am the son of a Navy veteran and a Pentecostal preacher. So by the time I hit my 20s, I felt the Lord had paroled me for time served in church. And I had planned to spend my Sundays dedicated to the one and four o'clock slate of football games, brunches, and travel days from Hampton shares. They were much more affordable back then. But I found myself coming every week um, I was then a young adult uh, in the leadership training. I had my first daughter, who is there, um, got married, wife is there, and then had my second daughter, in that order, here at Middle. But I was reluctantly a member, or still a member, because I was really into three girls at that time. And then that all changed for me on the second uh, Sunday of November of 2016, where like many of you, I walked into Middle uh, punch drunk, confused, uh, angry, and really needing something. And it became extremely personal to me in one simple thing. I don't remember who sang it, but the song was, I love the Lord, he heard my cry. And that moment I realized Middle wasn't just a place that I baptized my children or had um, declared my love and vowed uh, fidelity to my wife. It was also my rock and my refuge. And it was extremely important to me because it was that place where I was able to find comfort. And so I invite you or even kind of encourage you to join the movement if you are looking for a refuge for a rock. And if you don't really need one of those things, I encourage you to do it for that boy or that girl that does like you. And there are a few ways you can actually join this movement. First, we invite you to join come to middle, uh, middle or, or middlechurch.org to become a new member. You can join a new member class. But equally as important, your treasure. You should join, go to middle.org slash donate 
to give online. You can use the QR code that will be on the screen, or you can donate in the bags that we pass around. Now, I know that we are, I believe our fiscal year ends at the end of June, so it is critically important that we continue to support the things that are supporting us in our time of celebration and also in our time of need. Well, thank you so much for your time. I do employ you to join the movement. Be blessed. through times of trouble but we must walk with our heads held high if grief and toil seem to double and you see no reason why remember each of you has the power within to turn the darkness all around into light but you must work you must fight you must pray for the children and their tomorrows we must begin to work today don't leave them with our weakness and sorrow but set them forth on a better way teach them to value their neighbors yes and teach them to value the earth for this you must work, you must fight, you must pray. You must work to bring about freedom. You must fight to have justice for You must pray for the treasure of peace. Give a hand to those who might fall. Well, don't give in to pain. Don't bow with sadness, so the good seed must fall with kindness. While you work, while you fight, while you pray. Now you must realize how strong you can be, no matter what others may say. How a smile, a quarter, a timely embrace can help another to a brighter day. Now we can help change the wasting face of the land, restore the garden if together we stand. So let's work, let us fight, let us pray. Oh, we must work to bring about freedom. We must fight Give a hand to those who might fall. Don't give in to pain. Don't bow with sadness. Sow the good seed and press on with gladness. While we work, we fight. Yes, we pray. Deserve dignity more precious than gold. So everybody join in my new song or make a joyful noise all in your own. Ride. 
oremos. Let us pray. Dios, tenemos gracias por, por, por estos recursos. Guía nuestros corazones para que la comunidad se enriquece. Te alabamos y que su brillante luz alumbre nuestros paseos. Amén. Amén.
lean on me. When you're not strong, I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. <laughs> the light, I heard you say, enters the, the void of our wounds. I remember when I was little, I would skin my knee or something, and you know, you get a little Band-Aid. And um, you know, after a day or so, your parents would be like, well, you don't, you don't need the Band-Aid. You gotta let a little light and a little air get to it so it can heal. And it just, as a kid, that's really a scary thing, right? Like, just letting it be out there like that, like, that's a vulnerability that we have probably forgotten at, at our big ages, but you might remember. <laughs> you have to take that Band-Aid off sometimes and let a little light, let a little air get to it, and then that is where the healing is born. And so may we go out into this world with our vulnerabilities exposed come out of hiding and birth something new as a result of letting a little light and a little air in. May it be so. Amen. Now listen, if you'll just have a seat, we would greatly appreciate it. We'll have a tremendous uh, talk back that you are not gonna wanna miss. We'll bring our two authors up. Uh, Ramal Toon, who has written a book, I Wish My Dad. If you're wanting to purchase it, it's available online in all the spaces. Um, or he'll be outside right after the book talk to do a signing. And you'll be able to talk with him about it. Come on up, Ramal and Michael. We're going to bring these chairs. Thank you, Nick, for your help. You put it right. I'll take it if you want. Just a chair. There we go. And I'll let y'all take this away. If we could have quiet in the sanctuary, I know some people, the choir and such, need to go and get their things to rest, though. If you could do so quietly, that would help us. I wish my dad, we're gonna bring that. Uh, David, if you can hear me, if you can bring that up. He's trying to get through y'all back there. God bless. Online audience will be with you in just a second. Here it comes. It's a, it's a battle. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Now I'm gonna get out the way and let y'all have a little, a little light and a little air. Okay. Uh, so uh, we will do our best to keep this uh, fairly brief. Uh, again, my name is Ramal, and uh, I'm the author of "I Wish My Dad." Uh, basically, this is a book that um, came about because of the challenges in my relationship with my own father and wanting to build basically a community so I felt less alone in that journey. Uh, my dad and I began our process of reconciling uh, about four years ago, and it went really well. And I remember learning a lot about his family and uh, specifically his mom and dad who died when he was eight years old. 
and he was raised by his aunt. Um, we had a very challenging relationship when we met when I was 16. And after my mom died, she died of cancer at the age of 53. Uh, that was the last time I saw my dad at the funeral for the next 15 years. So after spending some time with him, I went back home and had all of these I wish my dad moments just flood my mind. Things that, opportunities that were just never going to happen now. Uh, we were too late in our story. And um, as I laid there thinking through all those moments, I felt lonely. And I wanted to know from other people if they had I wish my dad stories. Um, that would help me find my own way, my own healing journey. Uh, and so I put together a list of 17 people. Michael Ray was one of those folks. And I found people who I felt like how they show up in the world said something about their backstory, um, whether they had healed it or not. That it was, it's always present in whenever, wherever we are, our stories. And so with that, I interviewed everyone. And at the end of each chapter, there are takeaways written by a therapist, uh, Kendra Frazier, who actually went to NYU here, and she lives in Charlotte now. Um, but Michael Ray, um, I believe this is your first time actually preaching and using the context of your story, right? Um, I'm, I'm curious uh, how that felt for you. Um, it was a bit scary. Um, as you, you know, we did an event in Los Angeles, and my, I'm from Los Angeles, and so I had to tell, I had to disclose to my mother and my sister that I was a part of this book where I was telling the truth about our relationship, my dad and I, and I was worried about offending them. And that, those feelings came back in preparing for, for, um, for this sermon because it's, it's the first time I was saying it to a community that I, that I love and trust, um, and it's going to be online. <laughs> yeah. I, I found that with a number of people in the book, it's one thing to tell the, your story and know that it's going to be in a book. And then when final edits were coming across and I was sending chapters to people and they were able to read what they said, a number of people wrestled with the honesty, feeling that by telling the whole truth, I'm somehow dishonoring my parent. That most of us, you know, at funerals and, and throughout life, we tell those things that are good. Um, and we leave out the challenges. And what I had to help them understand was that in being honest about the whole story, you're not dishonoring the person. The reality is that you're showing that they were fully human. And that that is actually the more loving way to present them in their, in their challenges and in their strength. Um, and, and resist the fear of shame uh, because you're not presenting a perfect person. Did, did you deal with any of that tension as you shared your, your journey with your dad in the book of, am I honoring this relationship? And if so, what does that look like for you? Oh, indeed, because, because I knew that so much of what I shared in the sermon had happened, um, as I read the manuscript, I wasn't sure that it was clear, like, this is a good story. It ends well, you know, um, and there was light, and it was good. Um, 
And so I remember telling Romal, I was like, I'm not sure if this chapter, like, you know, like, I want to write it so I can make it end the way I wanted it to end. Um, and because it ends with the takeaways, um, you know, Kendra brings some really hard but healing truths into the takeaway. And um, that's not how I would end the sermon. So, you know, my ego was a bit caught up, caught up in that. Um, I think I also was concerned, as I mentioned before, about how my mom and my sister particularly uh, would feel about uh, me telling this story, um, as well as my father's siblings who were still alive, um, and also thinking about my son and um, what the truth of that story might reveal and bring up for him. And was I going to be ready to hear him tell me what he wished? You know, listening to Michael Ray share that, I remember when he uh, flew in, I uh, live in Atlanta, he flew to my home, and I could tell, like, he was ready to go. Like, he was ready, like, let's just get into it. And so we sat down pretty much like this with a, a little coffee table in between us, and um, I started telling him how the process would go and raised the first question. And instead of answering the first question, he said, well, the first thing you need to know is that I'm a survivor. And I was like, well, okay, like we're, we're just off to the races here. He jumps right in with a high level of transparency and vulnerability uh, about his own story of, of sexual violence. And it took me off guard. It took me off guard, one, because men don't talk about it. And that's why it's also often underreported. It also took me off guard because in two instances in my life, I had to fight off sexual abuse. And so now I'm being authentic and honest in the, with the book, I felt like now he's pulled me into having to own a part of my story that I often don't like talking about um, because of the, you know, the, 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 the fear of shame and that I think people, we inflict on ourselves um, unnecessarily. Um, that's tied to what will other people think of me. And I found in that moment, um, like literally at the beginning of the interview, it became an opportunity to shine light on a wound for it to heal. Um, so what was that, what compelled you to start there? I think I actually gave you a rote story first, kind of like I did with the therapist. Um, and then something in my head was saying, that's not the whole story and you need to say this um, and I think in that moment, I really was just thinking about my relationship with you and that I wanted, I wanted you to understand my story because we're such good friends and become important brothers to one another. And so I just felt like I couldn't tell, I couldn't tell the story about my dad without naming that, not because he was a part of it, of that abuse, but because that abuse was also a part of how I thought about who I was as a person, who I was as a man, and all the things that my father, all the negative things that my father said to me that were, you know, pretty much a lot of toxic masculinity and um, homophobia. And 
I, I just feel like that particular experience was a very traumatic and particular, um, that experience set a certain message to me about who I was and, and my worthiness. And to, so to feel unworthy, um, to feel ashamed, um, to feel wounded, and to have a father that is distant and when he is present is saying all of these awful things, that's just another layer. It's, it's, he wasn't a part of the abuse, but of that sexual abuse, but his verbal abuse just kind of mixed in with that. And without telling you that I was a survivor, you wouldn't understand why his words had such impact on me. Yeah, I, I found that, um, there's some other places I wanna go with that real quick, but one of the things I realized, you know, Michael Ray mentioned therapy um, in his sermon, and I've been in therapy for over a decade, and uh, it's, it's been an amazing, liberating journey uh, to really feel like a weight is lifted in so many areas of life. Um, but what I've learned is that the power of the testimony through storytelling um, and the good news of a story ending well not isn't based on what happened to any of us, but what we've been able to do with what happened. And be that, turn it into something positive or live in the pain. I've found, as I've traveled with this book, a lot of people live in the pain and have this toxic relationship with pain that justifies their anger. I need to hold the pain so that I can stay angry. In fact, if I let go of the pain, I don't even know that who I would be without this anger. Mm -hmm. And so this anger is still comforting me with the unspoken expectation that one day this anger will yield peace. And the reality is that that anger never promised peace. It just promised you more anger. What I found in surrendering my anger for all that happened that hurt me and the things that didn't happen that I needed uh, was that on the other side of healing, my pain has to submit. And when, my pain, when pain submits to your healing, you are then able to use the pain as medicine. A friend of mine says, if you can pass down trauma, you can also pass down healing. And the only way you can pass down healing is to address and overcome the trauma. It doesn't mean that it didn't happen, it just means that it doesn't have to keep happening and how we show up. But on the other side of healing, the pain submits and now the pain becomes a tool to give back to the world as medicine through the power of testimony and healing. And I, I feel like in your story, um, which is of the 17, probably one of the hardest um, because of the verbal abuse, can we call it that? Yeah. Um, but then the medicine is so rich in how you raise your son and the level of affection um, and love that you share with him. And was it the case that what you lacked from your father emotionally the reason why you raised your son so differently? Yes, <laughs> indeed. Um, 
Um, you know, I think I, I think I share in the book that I was really worried when we were expecting about whether or not we would have a son because I was afraid that I would do to him what my dad did to me. I didn't know how that was possible, but I knew enough to know that whatever's going on in my dad is somehow in me too, and is this, is this young person going to have a difficult life because I'm not aware of myself and the impact that I have on him? So I had to make some very strong decisions, not so much in defiance of my father, but just a real commitment to want to heal. And, you know, he was born when I was 29. Um, so those, those 30s, while I was in therapy, I was doing a lot of work around forgiving my dad and really trying to forgive, forgive myself in advance for whatever I didn't get right with my son. Um, and to trust that the one thing that I didn't get from my father growing up was the, was the only thing I really could offer my son, and that was affection and affirmation. And so I was very committed to that. I think that for me in that, the conversation and in the book, um, one of the most powerful statements you made was you talked about they have this beautiful relationship when, when your son was young and how uh, you would hug him and, and pray over him. Mm -hmm. and what, what did you say? How did that go? Well, it's from the scriptures. It's often a, a benediction at the end of a lot of, lot of services. Um, and it's in the Hebrew Bible. I'm forgetting exactly the, the citation. But um, it's the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Um, amen. Good night, Keenan. Um, and I would do that, and when he was little, I would pick him up, and I would rub his, rub his back as I recited those words. And his godmother suggested that we bless him every night with these words. And I don't know what her agenda was, but we followed this agenda, and we, and we uh, prayed that prayer over him. And um, even as he got bigger, when I couldn't pick him up, there was still this, this rubbing of this, his back, um, when I would recite those prayers. And um, today, when we part, um, I don't recite the prayers, but I make that circle in his back, and he just looks at me. He's, he knows, I know what that means. I said, I got you. We, I got you. I see you. God's got you, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, I remember it stuck with me because in the part of the story, you talked about how you were not afraid of being affectionate and showing affection and hugging and kissing your son and you made the comment i'm not a, i'm not concerned with how his the idea of his manhood right. i'm more concerned with making sure my son is whole that's right that's right and i that hit me like a ton of bricks mm -hmm. because i was raised in an environment where wholeness was not the agenda and and what i Nor found, was hugging nor was what? Hugging. Oh, hugging was, is, it, it never happened. Unless someone was so drunk that they weren't sure they were going to make it, they, they would give the hug and say, I love you, right? Um, some of us have been there. Um, where it's like, oh, I'll never do this again, God. Um, but it was an environment, and what I've learned in, through the lens of these stories and in revisiting my own, I think sometimes I found that parents, and after this we can probably take some questions if there are any, um, 
I wish my family, my uncles and my grandfather especially, my mom through most of my childhood, most of my, from probably 11 through 16 when I left, um, suffered from alcohol abuse and addiction to drugs. And so I lived with my grandparents through that time. Um, I've, I'm I now realize that my uncles and my grandfather were raising me through the lens of a set of assumptions. And those assumptions were, if his life is going to be like ours, a life full of difficulty and challenge and struggle, if life is going to be hard, then he's going to need the same set of skills that we needed in order to survive. And so they equipped me through the lens of life is hard, life is struggle, you're gonna to have to be a fighter. You don't have time to feel nor permission to feel because feelings are dangerous. Because the assumption was that his life will not rise above the level of what we've lived through. And so he's gonna need what we needed. I wish they had a vision for who I could become that extended beyond our circumstances and their own personal journeys in life. I also realized that even if they had a vision for who I could become beyond their personal struggles and challenges, they were never equipped to prepare me for a life that wasn't struggle and surviving. They didn't know how to equip me for a life of thriving, a life of joy, a life of peace. They only knew life through the lens of struggle and fighting and it's hard. And so that's going to be you too. I wish they had the faith to pray and ask God for a vision that was bigger than that. That was bigger than struggle and pain and strife, but a life, what would it look like to have joy and peace and stability and safety? And um, they would have then had to have learned the skills to even offer me that. And in raising my own son, I started out like my family members did. I was giving him what they, were, what they had given me, and none of what I was giving him was useful. He was not going to be who I was. Thank God for that. Um, but I had to learn new skills. So my last question to you, and then we'll open the floor to questions. Um, did, do you feel that there were skills you might have passed down to your son that were not useful? And a part two of that, do you feel that in the journey of raising him, there were new skills you had to learn? I'm sure there's a long list if I really think about it. <laughs> um, what's coming to mind for me right now has to do with being comfortable in play with him. Um, I was so, I was such a serious child. Um, and that was, sometimes that was my nickname, um, Serio. Um, that I, I sometimes have a hard time playing. Mm. And little kids want you to play with them. They want you to imagine the world and get down on the floor and do that. And they want to go outside and throw the ball and catch the ball. You know, and I was afraid I would throw the ball and it wouldn't go to where he was. <laughs> and he would throw the ball back to me and I wouldn't catch it. And then I'd be revealed, exposed as the same little, you know, kid that couldn't play sports. I could run, 
I ran. I was good. I was a good sprinter. I know how to run for people. Um, so I think, I think that there is, I think, I think one thing my son would say is that he wished that I was more present to him. Um, and, you know, we're, I think we're still working on, like, what does it mean for us to just enjoy each other's presence, just be together? He feels very comfortable with his mom. He loves me, and I know he knows that I love him. But I think we haven't found that way of playing together. That would be the one thing that So you still have to learn to play. I think so. And I think I have to learn to play, just like period. Mm. I mean, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't mean you can't you play. Know, I was, play. It's interesting you say that. Um, I'm just saying I'm always very serious. So what does yes. it mean to play? Last night we went to dinner at this Korean barbecue, and there's just all this amazing food, and I'm like in the chair doing my happy dance, and I'm like, I'm so happy right now. And he's like, yes, I can hear it in your voice. <laughs> 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 Relax, man. But um, a week ago, I was in Myrtle Beach with a group of uh, clergy leaders. And the first day I saw this video, it was the skipping challenge. And they were asking all of these adults who've seen it, do you remember how to skip? And so I had to give it a shot. So I went outside the hotel, and I'm literally skipping like in front of the hotel. And I still have it, still skip. Um, but they were showing people who forgot. And I felt like after that, and I shared it in the talk there, the underlying question to do you remember how to skip is actually do you remember how to play? And there are people who have forgotten how important play is. And we think that because we're adults now, we don't get to play anymore. But everywhere I go and all of the innovative companies that I follow, Whenever they're ideating for innovation, the first thing they do is go outside and play. Be silly, get over yourself, relax. No one's really paying as much attention as you think. Um, and they play and it opens you up to, I believe that a part of healing is found in play. That we can redeem those moments that we didn't have um, as children that were taken away from us for whatever reasons, and through having that agency now and giving ourselves permission to play as a part of our healing and evidence of being free and in our liberation, that I have so much power over my own presence that I choose to play without being constrained by some, so many things that society tells us about ourselves. So I'll just say choose to play every now and then. If you can skip, you know, I realize that for some of us, I'm 53, the older we get, things like that are medical considerations at the same time. <laughs> Knees and backs don't work the same. Uh, but find a version of play that uh, fits your health insurance. Uh, <laughs> um, are there any questions? Thank you very much. Uh, actually, I wasn't even sure, didn't realize I was going to be here this long, but this topic is just so timely in, in my life. Um, and I'm going to get the book. So uh, do you have any stories of men who have adopted sons or sons who have adopted them? Um, as a grown man, I have a son who's 40, and he adopted me about maybe 15 years ago because of the trauma that he's gone through in his life. And I don't have the full story of all of it, but 
as I was listening to the two of you talk, I'm like, that's my son, and I'm hoping he's, he's watching online. He, he didn't want to come because Jackie wasn't preaching, and I'm like, texting him, you should be here or watching it. <laughs> but um, do you have any advice in terms of, we talk about the healing for, for young men who, well, for parents who have adopted young men who are grown and have not had the benefit of going through the processes that you've gone through? Yeah, in, in the book, so there are 17 stories, and the beauty of the stories is they, they transcend uh, cultural ethnicities and age. Um, I have one person in the book who's under a pseudonym. His family owns an international brand that all of you would know. Um, he actually wanted to use his real name, and I was like, no, the lawsuit, because um, <laughs> he was really honest about the relationship with his dad in some good ways. And I have someone who grew up sharecropping with his dad and tells the story of how when he left Arkansas to uh, go to LA to find work, he was so excited that he had, I think, $10 and a whole chicken, and how excited he was to get the whole chicken. Um, but there are stories that of men who were raised by someone who wasn't their biological father and there are stories from men who have been a part of raising you know, uh, children who were not their biological children and what that has looked like for them. So yes, and then the takeaways as well. Um, are there any other questions? We have a few minutes, yes. I just wanna first start by thanking you both for, for being here and, and for your sermon in particular. Um, I was thinking actually about your, your testimony and how the women in your life may have responded to uh, your story sharing. And so I'm curious in, in your book potentially, or uh, if you wanna expand more on, on the women in your lives, um, how, uh, yeah, what does that look like? How, how have women responded to uh, this book? How have uh, the men who have shared their story um, look to how their relationships, both potentially with their dads, but also with their mothers and, and uh, women in their lives, uh, been affected by this. Um, and also to loop in a bit of your point too, there's another book I wanna tell you about, but I won't tell you about it because we're doing the, the, the Romal Tune book. <laughs> there's another book that I think picks up on some of what you were talking about. Uh, and also say that, and he's probably watching, uh, Robert Wilkins is a minister and was a youth mentor who I call dad, and we have had an adopted relationship. He's been a very important part of my healing journey, um, and has been very um, helpful, helped me give grace to my own father. Um, so that has made a difference, and I think I mentioned all the spiritual mamas, um, and I have a lot of spiritual mamas, like a lot. And um, the stuff that I couldn't say to men, I told it all, all to these women. Um, and they embraced me and they helped me understand, um, you know, how beautiful I am in the midst of my woundedness. Um, and it's made all the difference um, in the world. Um, also, my mother, you know, only just recently read the book because I was trying to figure out how long I could go without confessing that I had told the story. And when she read the book, um, she, she and I had a long conversation about all the things that she could see as a mother in our relationship and all the things that she was trying to do in the background to try to fix things. And I, it helped me understand 
a number of things that my father did to try to reach out to me uh, and the role that she played in trying to help us heal in a very like silent way. Um, and it made all the difference in the world for me. <laughs> my sister, um, that has been such a powerful experience as well. Um, because, you know, we, we grew up in the same house, we had the same father, we, and yet we had very different experiences. And I think what telling this story has done for us is that it's allowed her to understand me a little bit more, to see how we're from the same pie, but, you know, I got more, I got more of the pecans, all the nuts, <laughs> you know, um, and she got more of the, you know, of the sugar. Um, it has also given her space to share things with me about her journey. And we're seeing each other in ways that we didn't see each other before. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, uh, one, women have been responding very positively to the book because the book is the human experience of relationship with a parent. And I've had, even in the reviews, if you look on Amazon, and uh, I've had women say to me that the book is helping them heal. Um, and look at their challenges and difficulties with their dads. I'm a father of two. I have a son who's 22. That's him on the banner. And I have a daughter who's 24. Um, my son and I have done an interview. My daughter and I have not. I'm far more afraid of my daughter. Um, but I found in my personal journey, um, women have been the reason that I'm still alive starting with my grandmother, who gave me permission to leave when I was 16, to leave California, and a very, very challenging life in the inner city that I knew I had to get away from if I was going to live. And her words to me were, there's nothing here for you. I will miss you, but you should go. Um, those, that was a decision that probably saved my life. Uh, through, because of my relationship with my grandmother, I have always been able to embrace women with power and leadership authority because I've always been under that power and leadership through the lens of my grandmother. I literally used to sit at her feet and watch what she calls shoot 'em ups cowboy movies, right? Um, and just fall asleep in front of her. So because of that posture, um, most of my mentors that have been truly helpful in my career and life trajectory have been strong, courageous women with power. Um, as opposed to men, it's been a lot more challenging because there's a perceived threat and all of these other dynamics that make it, that have made it difficult to have male mentors who probably saw the same things that women saw, but the women were not afraid of it. Um, and so any, any skills, any wisdom I've attained and opportunities have oftentimes come through um, strong, courageous women opening doors for me. Um, and through the lens of the book, uh, in fact, when you read the reviews, like most of the reviews are actually women um, who are reading on behalf of someone and prepping them for it their opportunity to share this book with their son or their brother or their grandfather or their dad or someone or some group of people who need a tool. And we found that the book has become a, um, it gives people permission to start um, having conversations and 
to start thinking through things that have been these um, ghosts in relationships. You know, my son and I are still on a healing journey, but what I'm grateful for is there's no more ghosts in the room mm. when we engage. We have started having the difficult, hard, uncomfortable conversation. And I did that be, not for myself, but I did not want him carrying stuff that was never his to begin with. And after interviewing three, the first three men, I realized that if the book was going to be honest, I had to do the same thing and create that space um, and hold those truths with open hands. And that's probably the hardest thing we can do sometimes is do enough work on yourself to let other people who have experienced you in difficult ways tell you about yourself um, without defending it and explaining away, but it's their truth and it's their story that oftentimes just creating that space for them to share the difficulty and what they wished had happened is a part of the healing and, a, and the beginning of the process of forgiveness. Um, one last thing, I think we're out of time. I found that people who don't, who no longer have their parent here ask the question, well, why bother now? My parent's no longer alive, what can I do? And what I've learned from therapists and I've learned in life are, are several things. One, your healing is not dependent upon anyone's apology. That you do not have to concede the power of your journey and your healing to waiting on or never receiving and I'm sorry. Because the first person you can forgive is yourself for holding it so long and letting it blind you to your journey. So healing can still happen in the absence of an apology. And therapy can take you on a process and a journey of what that looks like for you. Um, the other thing when the person is not available is that you owe it to yourself to figure out how to confront that pain, make it submit to your healing so that you can give it back to the world as medicine. And so it's not a matter of if you can have the conversation with another person. It's more about are you ready to be courageous enough to confront yourself? to be honest about the sadness, the sorrow, the anger, and what it has done to you. Isaiah 61.3, the tattoo I have on my arm, God will give you joy for mourning, praise for despair, and beauty for ashes. That's a, an exchange. Joy for mourning, praise for despair, beauty for ashes. And the journey of healing and, and finding medicine to offer others is that process of surrendering the ashes in order to receive beauty. And for some of us, I think it's that naming those ashes, that pain, those missed moments, and surrendering it to receive beauty that's still available to you. So thank you for staying uh, after worship today, and I guess we'll be in the hallway. Yeah, there's actually one more question just from the online. We want to grab one from the online sure. people. There's somebody I'm still in there. Okay. Um, as someone who was raised as a son uh, who was, in fact, not, this person's transgender, um, I'm curious if the question of assigning gender to children and how that changes the relationship comes up. Yeah, so that is a conversation that's beginning to happen when I'm out and people are honest enough to ask the question. This is only the second time, so thank you for the question. What I found in that conversation, and I actually had two people I wanted to interview for the book, and they refused. 
They were like, I love you, but if I tell the whole truth in the book, it will destroy my family. And I said, but I know your family. It's already hurting everyone. And his response was, yeah, we've learned to deal with that pain. Mm. Um, and that saddened me because he's a dear friend. And I remembered a friend of mine, a pastor and a spiritual healer. She said, you know, it's like a kid playing on the playground and gets a splinter and runs and says, mom, I have a, spl I have a splinter. And she says, let me take it out. And the kid says, no, it's going to hurt. I'd rather deal with the pain I know, mm -hmm. even if this new pain on the other side of it is healing. And that's where we have this unhealthy relationship sometimes with pain. So in regards to the question, I don't think that there's one easy answer to it. I think that the book opens up the door for people to begin to have the conversation of what, what did I need? And how did, and I think especially Michael Ray's story deals with it a little bit, how did it impact me not living into these ideas uh, and instructions of who I was supposed to be mm -hmm. that actually didn't serve who I really was well? And when you read some of these stories, you'll find that the way a couple of these dads parented was actually through the lens of their own trauma and, and the potential or threat of abuse. And, that, and the fear that they didn't want that to happen to their own child. And so again, the book becomes a tool to, begin, to have some conversations that are long overdue. Thank you so much for that. Can we give them a, hand, a round of applause? Yeah. Ramal's book, I Wish My Dad, is out here in the, um, if you didn't pass it on the way in. And you can have some more questions or answers from him if you'd like out there. You can also purchase the book. Um, but thank you all for coming. Thank you all for staying. Have a blessed week. Thanks for listening, friends. To learn more about Middle Church, visit middlechurch.org. You can help grow this movement of love and justice by rating us on Apple or Spotify and by sharing this episode with a friend or two. Send us an email at info at middlechurch.org if you have any questions or comments. We hope you'll come back next week. Bye for now.